0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, episode 13.
1: This is Writing Excuses. Where is this story going? Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I'm Dan. And we're going
2: to talk about where our story's going. So, two weeks ago, we discussed the idea of where did my story come from. This felt like a very natural evolution (laughs) of that idea. Um, Hopefully, you're thinking a lot about the structure of your story. So, I want to start us off with the idea of a sense of progress. I feel this is the most important thing relating to pacing and outlining and preparing a story once you already know where it's coming from.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that people, uh, st- you know, you'll hear people talk about the terrible middle, mm-hmm. uh, but you spend actually the bulk of the story in the middle of the story. It
3: right. so needs to not be terrible. It needs to not
0: be terrible. <laughs> and so what you're having to deal with is make sure that, you know, we talked about the questions and the promises that you make to the reader at the beginning. Yes. So this is where you're looking at beginning to fulfill them and giving the the reader actually a sense of trust that you are going to, to answer yes. the questions. Yes,
2: Exactly. Um, this really helps when you have identified the shape of your story already. As, um, Mary talked about two weeks ago is so very important. If you know this shape and if you know the promises you're making, then you can start doling out your information. Two weeks ago, Dan talked about the John Cleaver books being mysteries. So he then identified a mystery needs these things, particularly a murder mystery, in order to heighten tension and in order to give a promise to the reader that, yes, this ending is coming, it's going to be great, and
1: here are our steps along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in a mystery particularly, but but really in, in anything you're doing, you know, once you figure out not only that you need clues, but what those clues are going to be, you know, it helps you put them in. You know, when does that clue get left? At what point does your character figure it out? Uh, mm-hmm. What is going to be the piece that helps your character put those clues together? Yeah. You know, knowing how the crime is committed helps you kind of work backwards and figure out what all the little pieces are, and then the structure component comes, what order are you going to reveal all that information? I can't
3: remember which of our guests it was. I want to say it was David Brin who said that uh, he always recommends that people's first story be a mystery because of, uh, because, rigid's the wrong word, but because of how, how the dictates of the structure are so demanding. Um... And, and how, how many of those pieces apply in, in other story styles. They do.
1: You know, if, if you're writing a romance, you know, uh, really a lot of it's the same thing. You know, it's instead of a crime, it's these two characters need to fall in love. Well, why? What are mm-hmm. the specific things? It can't just be, well, he's a basically decent person and she's attractive. You know, you right. need something more. They, they need to have a real connection. How are you going to build and then demonstrate that connection? Right, and there has to be conflict inherent in each of these things. If you've identified
2: I'm doing a romance, there should be conflict in the story inherent to the romance. There are lots of different ways to put this in. You don't have to use any given one of them, but you've got to identify what the trouble is. Same with the mystery. What is the danger inherent in the mystery? What is the conflict? inherited in the mysteries finding the clues really difficult the, the 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 murderer is really smart or what what is the conflict is it becoming more and more personal as the story progresses and how is it becoming more and more personal
0: and i also want to point out that the that although we're using a lot of novels as examples, mm-hmm. these things apply perfectly to short fiction and and any type of storytelling that right. you're doing the the only real difference is that in a short story you're usually only answering one or two questions. Whereas in a novel you might have multiple of these questions going on all at the same time.
2: Once you start to really see these things and get a, a vision of their shape, you can start to do the thing where you notice that stories that originally seemed wildly different to you have the exact same structure and the exact same type of pacing. One of the ones I like to bring out in my class is a lot of romance novels and a lot of buddy cop movies mm-hmm. follow the exact same structure. Um, and that one's kind of easy to see where you're like, oh, okay, I can see you take, you know, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. bromance instead of a romance. We make the same sort of story. But when you start to see, you know, the underdog sports story playing out in all different genres all the time, you say, wow, this really is an interesting plot archetype. That you can give the right clues about as you go. A lot of war movies are underdog sports story movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. The same structure. And and we're not what we're we're not suggesting to you that you follow the cliches of these yes. forms.
0: Well, and and this is the thing that you'll hear people say: Oh, don't do formulaic writing. But I think yeah. that these that this is from not understanding. Yeah you can this is like saying never follow a recipe right and it's not the recipe that's the problem it's not understanding what the different components do so someone says i want to i want to write a story and i i understand the the ingredient the the elements of it and and i'll have a a young boy and he needs to live under a staircase and right and <laughs> it's like no those are ingredients yeah right and what you need to understand is the formula which is you have someone who is uh, disadvantaged and disenfranchised, and that is the formula. And so if you know how those pieces interact with each other, then you know which pieces you can swap out. I, I
1: studied anthropology uh, for my first year of, of college, back when I thought I was going to do that instead of English. And uh, pretty much the first day, or, or at least the first week, the teacher told a story about a family pot roast recipe that was passed down generation to generation. And in that recipe, you cut off the end of the roast until finally someone said, why? What purpose does that serve? And so they tracked it back to grandma and great-grandma and great-great-grandma and realized that her pan was too small to fit a whole roast in it. (laughs) And because they didn't understand the purpose of Mm -hmm. the recipe, they were propagating an unintentional part of it yeah that's awesome you see that a lot in stories yes Mm -hmm.
0: jane espenson has this really interesting thing to say when she's talking about television writing which is very formulaic Mm -hmm. you have to break it specific points because commercials commercials and she says that she likens it to a clear picture and you can put any liquid in it you want the shape of the picture Will not change, but the liquid is wildly different. You can have Jello or chicken soup.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm really fond. When you know, we asked, we asked the question at the beginning of the episode: Where, where is this story going? Um, one of the questions that you you want to be able to answer is uh, is what is my ending? Often, the promise that is made to the reader. Uh, often the, the suspicion that the reader has, the expectation that the reader has, is something that you are going to defy with some sort of a plot twist.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Knowing that you are writing a story in which an expectation is going to be subverted at some point, you know, two-thirds of the way, three-quarters of the way through the story. You know, for instance, the, the reader thinks, well, they're going to beat the bad guy and kill him, but three-quarters of the way through the story... They have to team up with the bad guy because there was a problem that was bigger than them both. Right. And it's a story about reconciliation. Um, if you know that that's the kind of story that you want to tell, if you know that that's where it's headed, uh, that informs your craft all the way through. Right. And you can make
2: those promises at the beginning. You can make multiple promises, and you can bring one of the the subplots to the forefront and say, okay, we're going to deal with this right now. This yeah. is really important. Yeah.
0: So one of those, one of the, the things that I did when I wrote um, Valor and Vanity, uh-huh. you know, my tag, the, the the elevator pitch for it was Jane Austen writes Ocean's Eleven, uh-huh. and the reason that I, I with bring magic with magic, with magic. <laughs> Jane Austen writes Ocean's Eleven with magic. So the the reason I bring this up is because that gives me two different shapes. Of story that I needed to two different promises that I was making to my readers one is that I was going to deliver a heist Uh Uh, and that means that because of that at the end of the thing when I get to the end the middle all has to be dealing with heisty stuff and the end has to be triumph over the enemy Uh Jane Austen means there's drawing room and there's a comedy of manners and there's relationships And at the end, I have to have a reconciliation between the characters, and I have to have some sort of romantic through line. Mm -hmm. And so I was making two sets of promises that I had to fulfill for my readers. And because of that, that helped me shape what was happening in the middle to make sure that the structure of my story was always delivering those two promises and taking turns which one would kind of dominate.
2: I'm going to stop us for our book of the week, Um, a little book that... uh Apparently, uh, we forgot to do, called Words of Radiance, (laughs) (laughs) last year. To be fair, it's so easy to overlook. Um, (laughs) Last year at the Writing Excuses Retreat, one of our students came to me and said, so when are you going to do Words of Radiance? And I said, of course, we did Words of Radiance already, didn't we? And then we looked, and lo and behold, (laughs) we had forgotten it because we were waiting till Season 10, which was going to be so awesome. We want to promote them. So We're, Words Radiance of Radiance. A is, Tasty Morsel <laughs> by Brandon Sanderson. Yes, it is my the second of the Stormlight Archive. It is read beautifully by Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, um, whom I love and I asked for specifically because I like their style of reading. Um, it is epic fantasy at its most epic. It, it has a very fascinating structure for those of you who are interested in the structures because I plotted the entire book as a trilogy, which I broke up with a short story collection in between books. And then bound together as one novel. Yes,
0: That's why that's happening. Yes. Yeah, that's why yes, yeah. <laughs> And so in
2: foreign countries, we asked if we, they could split it, which they often do. We gave them the split points that turned it into three books. Oh, wow. Um, so, Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. You can get read to you by Michael Kramer and Kate Redding by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial. And you can listen to this awesomely crazy book that I have written.
3: I said morsel. I guess it's actually a three-course yeah, meal in your mouth. Yeah. Own. yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, right. it is. With palate cleansers.
2: So um, let's move on to talking about this idea that Howard loves, which is looking for the moments of awesome. Is that what you described? Oh, yeah.
3: It? Yeah. And apparently there's another term for it: uh, the the term set piece. Set yes. piece or um, show piece. Mm-hmm. Show, yeah. show piece. I look for, uh, <laughs> for me, often it's, you know, I want to draw. I want. I want to draw a spaceship exploding. Only I want it to explode like from you know one side and all this. Okay, why do we have a, why do we have an exploding space? Why is this even in here? Um, and I will often work my way backwards from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are lots of fun moments in the media that I consume, and when I get to those moments, uh, if they are if if they were done right if the media was done right, I look at this and I think, oh, wow, that was really fulfilling. Everything led up to this moment. And if it was done wrong, say Transformers 4, by the time we get to Optimus Prime riding on a dinosaur, uh-huh. which really felt like a set piece, what I felt like was I've been ready to go home for 20 minutes. <laughs> you you didn't aim at this set piece correctly. And so my goal at the, you know, when I'm looking at where a book is going, where, where a Uh, schlock mercenary comic is going Uh, i want to know what those set pieces are in advance so i spend plenty of time aiming at them and setting them up this i
2: think is the most common
3: way that novelists plot their novels
2: most common way of building an outline it is robert jordan's method Mm -hmm. Um, it is the method that i use before i start my more strict outline as i start Mm -hmm. with this Mm -hmm. it is aiming for those emotionally resonant moments of i like moments of awesomeness but the set yeah. pieces where you say this encapsulates why people are reading my book and the emotional feel i want them to get at the at the highest impact moments of power
0: yeah and sometimes it is actually just something that's cool like i had yeah. a gondola chase mhm yeah <laughs> and i was like i i i want a, it's a book set in venice i want a gondola chase
3: by god yeah, yeah. well and, and in valor and vanity you were using heist format in Venice. And so gondola chase is not only a moment of awesome, it's also something that is heavily suggested by the heist. Right. You know, we, we, we have to have a chase scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... Well,
0: and, and and the we have to have a chase scene is the, the, this is the thing where I, I feel like people will, will fall apart when mm-hmm. they're dealing with a set piece that they'll aim for it. And but the foundations that they're laying are not character based. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of times you know you know you're watching the film you're reading the movie and you mm-hmm. think why would anyone why would you go down into the basement right. without a flashlight when you've heard a scary noise and you know that you're in a horror film
1: you know yeah the 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 one that always stands out to me in movies is here's the, you know we've just watched this fascinating movie with interesting characters that asks probing questions and then it ends in a gunfight yeah. You know, because there has to be a gunfight. Yeah. Well, if you do the gunfight right, and I mm-hmm. would suggest something like Gross Point Blank, mm. did their final gunfight, but they did it right because it meant something to the characters and it re- it progressed the plot other than, okay, we can go get popcorn now and, and I'll come back in ten minutes when they're done shooting each other. Yeah. You know? Where well, which which actually extends into an, another of Howard's terms that uh, he coined a few years ago and that I have started using every time I outline, which is the stand-up and cheer moment, hmm. yeah. which really what that is is, is I guess you could call that the climax of the story, but thinking about it in those terms. You know, once I've strung together, these are my moments of awesome. You know, when I put together Fragments, the, the second Partials book, I knew that I wanted to have uh, a hack in a ruined post-apocalyptic building. I knew that I wanted a poison place, a poison wasteland, and I knew that I wanted this big moment where Kira had to make a very painful choice. And then on top of that, I knew I needed the moment, the stand-up-and-cheer moment. Yeah. You know, there has to be that thing at the end where you go, yes, you nailed it, Kira, you're the protagonist of the story, and I love you because of what you just did. And if the story doesn't have that then it's just, it's not going far enough. Yeah, you know, I, I,
3: I was thinking about the term set pieces and moments of awesome. One of the reasons that those are two very, very different terms is that some set pieces are designed to just crush you, the reader. Uh, when I told the story of uh, uh, General Tagon and his family and the, the assassination attempt, um, I knew going into that uh, that the, this thing that I was kind of calling a moment of awesome was a terrible terrible Mm -hmm. tragedy where the reader is getting deep insight into why the general and his son are so very broken and and that was a set piece and that's the same exact sort of principle i'm aiming for a thing that's going to have huge emotional impact and if i don't set it up right it won't work Um, and if i do set it up right then not only will it work it will stand in support of the other things that i want to do with this story
2: Excellent. Uh, this, I think this has been very helpful. I hope that you listeners are getting a better idea for how to shape your stories and make those promises and then really drive them to these moments. Dan, you're going to give us
1: Yes, a writing prompt,
2: a writing exercise.
1: So if you were here two weeks ago, uh, we asked you to uh, look at a plot of a story that you like or a, a movie or TV show, whatever it is, and then reverse engineer it and figure out what the outline is and what promises are being made in the first section of it. What you do now and if if you didn't do last week, go ahead and just make something up now, you know, pick a TV show and figure out the A and the B plot, whatever you need to do. What you do now for the new exercise is you're going to take that and flip it. You're going to emphasize one of the side plots as the main plot and see how that changes the story. Look at what different promises that requires. Look at how that will affect the ending. And so, alter your outline you built last week or two weeks ago by, by emphasizing a different thread and seeing how that changes it. And, yeah. and
0: be aware that it may change who the main character is. Yeah,
1: almost yes. certainly. That's, I think
3: that's the thing to recognize in this. The, the thing that you start by doing is saying this is now the core story piece, the piece that was a side piece before. What else do I have to move? How do I need to move them? What do I do to de-emphasize them? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is huge fun. Yes, if um, Which is the entire do it. story of Empire
2: Strike back, Strikes Back is about how do we get C-3PO put back together. If <laughs> yeah. everything centers on that, this is what we're looking at doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you build a story where we need to get C-3PO back and, together? And how do you make that meaningful? Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. All right, this has been Running Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.